KRCL, 90.9 FM, HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo. 96.7 FM in Park City, on the web at krcl.org. Listener-supported community radio. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Thanks for plugging into your community with me tonight. You know, the number two show in uh, Utah here. That's what uh, the rumor has it. Uh, so tonight on the show, y'all, we got the Tuesday edition. So how's your attitude of gratitude? Stick around as the Roundtable Tuesday panel talks about food insecurity and community resources against the backdrop of that most American of holidays, Thanksgiving. Join me later this hour will be Gina Cornea, Utah's Utahns Against Hunger, Joanna and Izzy, Salt Lake Community Fridges, Jeanette Padilla, Food Justice Coalition. And in a minute, as part of our ongoing focus on Native American Heritage Month on Tuesdays this month, you're going to hear Living the Circle of Life's Valiant MC in conversations with Eugene Tepehi. He created something called the Jingle Dress Project that we wanted to share with you. But first, we have Rallies and Resources with Laura Jones. But actually, before that, we have our very own Dave John to do a land acknowledgement. Go ahead, Dave. Good evening, relatives. Oh, now it's on. (laughs) We're good. We're hot now, baby. Okay. Good evening, relatives. Uh, I'm I'm Dave John. Uh, thanks for joining Radioactive. Another takeover. Living the circle of Living life. Circle Sunday life. seven to ten. The partnership. It ain't a takeover. We you, you, this is your this is your house, baby. Okay. All right. Yeah. We acknowledge that KRCL is located and broadcast on the indigenous shared territory of the Goshut, Dene, Paiute, Shoshone, and Ute people. We honor the original ancestors of this land and also offer respect to our other tribal communities. We acknowledge this history to cultivate respect for and advocate for with our indigenous communities still connected it connected to this land. Thanks Dave. Thank you, you and uh, Valine have been doing some great conversations through Radioactive but also the show that we've been highlighting. Just thanks for all the the extra work during Native American Heritage Month. What do you got coming up for the rest of the month? Uh, hopefully, some rest. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've been uh, you've been doubling, double dipping, and I know I've had some uh, opportunities to share share a couple spaces with you, and it's been uh, it's been amazing. And uh, living the circle of life Sundays, seven to ten a.m. Longest one of the longest running shows mm-hmm. on KRCL, and you can hear the last two weeks of any show, including living the circle of life, on demand at krcl.org. Some of the great interviews on ICWA. Has that ruling come down yet? Are we still waiting for that from the Supreme Court that uh, could upend um, adoption, as we know it, for Native American kids? Well, this one's just was just the arguments mm-hmm. so when they're looking probably next year uh when the supreme court gets together and finally decides on a lot of other cases yeah. and stuff so okay. yeah so it's gonna be nail biting and mm-hmm. yeah listening to the argument 
Uh, yeah, it, it's just like we they're going through the motions, you know, but I think they've already kind of made their decision. From what the justices questions they were asking I hate that. about yeah. attachment and yeah. what's best for the child. But what was nice was listening to the lawyers and, you know, yeah, we always got to bring out, you know, A6 because that really gets ignored, you know. What's and that? treaties are supreme mm-hmm. law of the land, mm-hmm. and that's what they're fighting. And they forget that treaties are made between nation to nation, not nation to race. And that's what they're trying to pull forward is this is a racial issue, you know. Oh, you know, because I'm not Native, I can't adopt Native kids. Mm-hmm. But... You know, over the 500 years, you know, dealing with uh, residential schools and that they seem to forget that what happened there, you know, the stolen children. Um, You know, even sterilization in the 70s, you know, with the Native women that went into just get probably sometimes their teeth cleaned. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they wonder why they can't have kids, you know, and. But yeah, so we're just waiting till June. Detachment from your culture. Oh yeah, yeah, and more assimilating, mm, yeah, and yep. yeah, that's why that. What is it? Kill the Indian, save the man. Yeah, that's needs to change. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's just uh, some of the conversation you get on living the circle mm-hmm. of life, along with traditional and contemporary music mm-hmm. by and for Indigenous artists and the whole community so dave's coming back with the the panel on food justice he is and again a reminder that thanksgiving turkey giveaway from crossroads urban center it's 10 a.m and i forgot to give the address when we talked about it with ebay it's happening at smith's ballpark tomorrow 10 a.m till supplies run out or 3 30 whichever comes first and that's on the northeast corner of 1300 south and west temple right there by the ballpark okay you can drive up you can also walk up there's no you don't have to sign up mm-hmm. they're expecting to do about 3500 yeah on the promo mm-hmm. you had they said you three thousand or something like that, More than that I hope, yeah i hope everybody shows it yeah if you're in need show up mm-hmm. please so there's that and um we wanted to get right to a bit of conversation that valine mc had just this last sunday on living the circle of life as november is native american heritage month and we've been highlighting these conversations each and every tuesday on roundtable tuesday so just this past sunday valine spoke with eugene tapahi of art heels the jingle dress project the Jingle Dress Project. And we've got a clip for you. Starts with Eugene introducing himself. I believe that is on number two. All right, let's go. I'm Eugene Tapahi. I'm um, Dene Navajo from originally from Winter Rock, Arizona. I've been residing here in um, Provo, Utah for the past 22 years. I have um, currently, I am a Master of Fine Arts student at um, Brigham Young University. I am getting um, my master's. I have about another year and a half done, um, left. I have been a photojournalist for the past 25 years and have dabbled recently in about eight years in the um, fine art photography. And I um, actually have a really great career right now doing um, landscape and wildlife photography. And so I've been working on special projects right now with um, the new art that I'm ready to start working on. It's a lot of um, trying to keep it a secret still. I'm still trying to figure out how, you know, how I want to um, display them and how it's going to work out. But it's totally different than photography, and I'm excited about it. So uh, with that, 
and you have, it sounds like multiple projects are coming from this, but let's talk about specifically Art Heals, the Jingle Dress Project. Can you tell our listeners, what exactly is this project? Yeah, Art Heals, the Jingle Dress Project started from um, the pandemic of the COVID. Um, when it first started, I, um, like all of us, we kind of were uncertain of our future. We didn't really know what was going to happen when COVID hit, especially when um, the whole United States kind of shut down for, for weeks. Really, the world, yeah. really. It yeah, was yeah such basically a weird it was time. the world. And, and, you know, we were all home and just kind of hanging out, trying to figure out, oh, yeah, we could do this for two weeks. And it kept getting longer and longer. And as, as, it, as time passed, um, you know, I had a lot of friends and relatives back home on the reservation. Um, what reservation? The Navajo Nation. Okay. Um, they started passing away and, and it was really hard because we didn't have uh, a vaccine at the time. And we still didn't know really, you know, what COVID really was at that time. So um, my aunt was our um, last pa- uh, matriarch that um, she actually passed away, my Aunt Emily. And um, when that happened, it really shook our world, you know, it really shook me. And I and I really didn't know what was happening. And it was really um, sad because nobody knew what COVID was. So we didn't, it, we weren't able to send her off and celebrate her life like we usually do. Mm. You know, it was really hard. It took us- Like in the traditional way. Yeah, in the traditional okay. way, it was really hard. We we had to wait weeks before we could even, you know, even send her on her way, even to do those things. And so it was really difficult. And so at that time, that's when, you know, everybody felt, um, you know, sorrow and felt scared and fear. Because it was really unknown. Right. There was no we hope. We didn't know really. how to approach this. Yeah. And we didn't know what's happening. And so um, one night I, I went to sleep and um, and I had a dream. And the dream I had, I was in Yellowstone National Park. And that's kind of where um, my family, when my girls were growing up when they were little, we would always go there. And it was always fun to be with nature and, and wildlife and to be, you know, part of that. And, and so it was always like a sanctuary for us to get away. Mm-hmm. And so I had this dream and I was in Yellowstone and I was sitting in some tall grass and the sun was setting and all of a sudden I saw some bison and they were grazing and I was just sitting in there. It was really, you know, just, just, you know, just, it was a wonderful scene. And then I started hearing jingles from the jingle dresses and I saw a bunch of um, women coming out and they were dancing in the, in the tall green grass and um, they really looked like they were dancing with the bison. And it was just so peaceful and it was healing. And at that moment in time, when I was in my dream, I felt hope. And that's kind of how it started. Um, I woke up and like, you know, most native people, you know, we're told from our ancestors, you know, that dreams mean something, you know, and we need to figure out what they are. And, And so I, the whole day, it was just bothering me, you know. And so I finally, like, I, I told my wife and my daughters, I, I told them about my dream. And I said, uh, it's, it means something. And I said, wouldn't it be uh, cool if we, like, recreated it? You know, if we got, I got jingle dress dancers and we went out on the land and we danced. And I said, and I feel like in my dream it was telling me that if we danced on the land, and we would heal the land and the ancestors that were there before us, that they would come back and help us heal from COVID. 
And so that's where it started. And so I got to, you know, my girls were excited. They were because they usually are excited because they're usually with me when I go out in my landscape photography. You know, they're carrying my equipment. You know, they're helping me drive. They're helping to get places. But I told them, I said, no, I want you guys to be the jingle dress dancers. And then that's when I'm. We started talking and discussing it, and I said... Were they already jingle, like, yeah, dancing? Yeah, they, they were already okay. jingle dress dancers, and they already had their um, regalia. And so I told them, I said, you know, if we can get two more girls, um, then we would have four girls. I said, as, as Navajo people, we, you know, sacred numbers four. And I said, and each of you girls would represent the four worlds. And so we, that's when we got their, their um, good friends, um, Sonny and Joanny Begay. And it was, in fact, we were all like kind of quarantined together because they were all going to um, BYU at the same time. And so um, we asked them and I told them my dream and they said, sure, let's, you know, let's, let's do it, you know. And it was a good time for us because, you know, at the time, you know, we couldn't even go home because, you know, Navajo Nation was shut down. They didn't let anybody, any visitors in and out. So we thought this was a great way for us to be of service, you know, outside of what we were doing. And so that's kind of how it started. It was really amazing because um, from this dream, we we decided to go to the um, salt flats here in Utah. We figured it would be, you know, isolated. Nobody would be there because of quarantine. And so I, you know, I was like, okay, so let's do this, you know. So, um, I told my dream to one of my, my, my good friends, family friend, his name is Brian Jansen. And he, I told him about it and I said, I need a healing jingle dress song so that I can get it recorded and so that we can go to the land and we can have the girls dance. So I, I really thought he was gonna get his drum group together and um, they were gonna sing a song. But he felt like it was such a spiritual, um, time yeah. that he felt like okay i'm gonna do a solo song a solo drum song and so he he actually um did that for us he wow. and it was um, it was really a it's an amazing song and um we ended up um i hadn't listened to it you know he just gave the recording to me we're running around trying to figure out how to do these things and i'm not a portrait photographer and so it was really hard for me to figure out because in photography terms, those are very, very different. Going from photojournalism and then going from landscaping and then portrait. Those are very, yes. very, very different yes. fields. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, when I, when I started doing the landscape, my photos for the first year were, were terrible. <laughs> I'd, I'd go out, you know, to like, you know, these iconic places and I'd come home and I'd cry because the images were just terrible. You know, I I'm like. I totally understand. I'm a film student. And I totally understand is like when you get the footage and you're like, but it looks so good. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> what know, happened? Yeah. And you have this wonderful spirit out there, you know, and you're yes. like, oh, my gosh, it's got to be beautiful. And, you know, and then you come back and your images are overexposed, underexposed, mm -hmm. you know, not sharp enough. And but, you know, and so when when um, I, I did what anybody else would do if they're going to start doing portrait photography, I went to Google and said, you know, typed in portrait photography, you know. Amazing resources. <laughs> yeah, you know. And they said, oh, get lights and do these things, you know, all this stuff, you know. So so I did. I, I, I got the lights. I got the equipment I needed to do portrait photography. And and so we loaded up in, a, you know, our vehicle and we took off to the salt flats. And we got to the salt flats and it was crazy. It was just white out. Oh, wow. 
it was just so windy and it was raining and we drove out to the middle of the flats and and we couldn't see nothing it was just white everywhere you know that we parked and the the car was shaking because it was so windy and we were just all like oh my gosh this is gonna be a bust you know but you know as a photographer as love landscape i knew it was an early spring storm and i knew it was gonna just like blow over you know we just give it some time so i told the girls you know get you know start getting ready you know braid your hair you know, and so they did. They started getting ready in the vehicle. And, and sure enough, you know, it kind of cleared, but it was still really windy. So we got, the girls got the regalia on, and I, I got the lights out, and we put them up and everything. And we're the only ones out there. It was so surreal, you know, being out in the salt flats, totally white, everything's flat, and there's nobody around, you know. Oh, wow. So something I want to do here, so as you're talking about the regalia and wearing the traditional jingle dress, I want to share a little piece here. Um, this is from the University of Minnesota. And discussing this is uh, the Ojibwe historian and professor, Brenda J. Childs. And they actually used some of your stuff, Eugene, here, some of your pieces in this video clip. So I'm going to share this here real quick, sharing about the origins of the Ojibwe uh, jingle dress. Ojibwe people often tell a story about a little girl who was very near death and her father and her family became, of course, very worried about her. Her father had a dream, a vision about a special dress and dance. He made the dress for his daughter and taught her the steps. The way folks at Mille Lacs tell the story is that there was a drum ceremony taking place that weekend. and. The father brought his sick daughter to the drum ceremony. She was sort of lying on the side, taking it easy because she was so ill. Later on in the evening, they started playing these songs and the little girl got up and began dancing. And by the end of the evening, she had recovered. And so that was Brenda Childs. Uh, Ojibwe historian and professor uh, speaking from the University of Minnesota. So I'm sharing that because I could not believe, Eugene, the parallels of this. And this interview was actually conducted in 2019 before there was even a pandemic. So it was almost like, I'm getting goosebumps, y'all. It was almost like the ancestors were preparing and speaking to those who were ready to receive. And I know it's getting spiritual, but I don't mind because I'm just saying it was kind of powerful. So when I saw that and then I saw um, what you shared, Eugene, about how it came to you in a dream, that is powerful. It, it really is. Um, like I was saying, when we went out to the salt flats, it was we we got ready. Um, I had the lights up and the girls stood in front of the camera and I was behind the camera. We were ready to do a photo shoot. And we just stood there for a few seconds. It was just quiet. And the girls said to me, you know, hey, Dad, what do you want us to do? Because they're, they're not models, you know. They're just, you know, everyday women. And I'm not a portrait photographer. And I, I yelled back to them and I said, just feel the spirit of the land, you know. Feel, feel what the land's telling you and, and pose. And that's how it started. And... Um, what an amazing Don't. indigenous dad you guys. Sorry. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and and so um, the one thing I, I didn't want was just to take pictures of beautiful women. Um, I wanted the land and 
the people I wanted them to be united in the photo I wanted them to look like they're working together and and so I started doing that we started shooting I started shooting and the one thing I looked in my, the viewfinder in my camera was that the lighting didn't look natural it just didn't look right so I told the girls okay so let's stop you know I turned all the lights off I said forget the lights let's just use you know what we have you know the sun you know the nature and and um just when i said that the clouds cl kind of cleared and of course the they did yes <laughs> and the sun just hit that white sand and this glow oh. on them was just beautiful and and we just i started taking pictures but the most important part of the this whole project was for them to dance and so um, at that point in time none of us heard the song you know and we set up our little Bluetooth speaker on the sand and the girls got around it and we, we, we started playing the song and the girls started dancing and I was standing and I was watching. You could just imagine like standing in the white sands, nobody there and the jingle song and the music and then you hear the jingles and the girls dancing. And I, I had my, you know, I had tears in my eyes because I, I could feel the ancestors with them. Wow. I could feel other people dancing with them. And when we, when the song was over, the so girls. So this is just kind of like playing out what was in your dream. Right. And I told the girls, you know, we, we, when the song was over, we were just quiet. All of us were standing there. They were in tears. I was in tears. And, and one of the girls said, dad, we can't just do this this one time. We got to do this across the land so obviously they felt it yeah yeah they felt what I felt and so that's where the project started wow. and that's when we I really started thinking where could we go you know and then that's how we started going to national parks well so then that that kind of leads into my next question is what has been the reach of the Jingle Dress project because oh. I've seen you guys go as far north as Alaska which is where I'm from the Clinkett and Aleut Athabascan Nations. What has been the reach and what has been the response to the Jingle Dress Project? Oh my project? gosh. You know, when we did that first photo shoot, we, we, that was going to be it. That's all we were going to do. All I want to do was recreate my dream. But like I said, it to the feeling and the, the spirit and everything that was happening with us, we, we really felt like we needed to do more. And so that's why we decided to go to national and state parks was because we, those were the places that were colonized first that were taken from native people first and so we thought those other lands that needed to be healed first and like i said we, we thought if we healed the land and the ancestors that lived there they would come back and help us heal from covid and so that's kind of was our purpose and so when we started doing the project we didn't let people know where we were going because we didn't want people to meet us or think it was safe to drive and travel you know. Yes, because it's still times of quarantine. Exactly. Okay, that makes sense. And so we kept it hush-hush. But the response was powerful, you guys, because I remember, and if any of the listeners are there, when you started seeing that show up on social media, yeah, it was like, it just kind of took your breath for a second. Yeah. And so from the very beginning, we just we just shared our message. We shared our mission, and we shared pictures of them, but we didn't show the locations. We just showed, you know, close-ups of them being, you know, at Yellowstone and the Tetons. And, you know, and we went into um, the West Coast and all the way to the East Coast. We, we actually went in and um, to New York City. And, you know, on, on New Year's Eve, we, we, the girls danced in Central Park, you know, at, you know, in the evening. And so we've had all these great responses. But just to bring back to um, Brenda Childs, um, three months into our project, 
when there still was no vaccine, um, she reached out to me because she saw the project on social media. And she asked me, Eugene, how did you come to this you know, project? And so I told her about my dream and I told her about the four, the four girls and the four worlds. And she says, did you know the Ojibwe, you know, they made four dresses. And the reason they made four dresses from originally is because of the four sacred colors. And so there were so many parallels between the, the 100 years ago to, to now that um, she really felt strongly and her husband felt strongly that we needed to come to Minnesota. And so they, um, the Millex community, um, helped us, funded, helped funding us to come to Minnesota. So we went wow. all the way to Minnesota and it was so wonderful because um, the girls got to dance at the original site of the first jingle dress dance a hundred years ago. Oh my goodness, and, and the, the goosebumps, you guys. <laughs> yeah, and the girls actually danced with some wow. of the relatives of those people that first danced a hundred years ago. Wow. And it That's was just powerful. amazing. Yeah, and it was just wonderful to um, be a part of that and to know that the Millax people, the Ojibwe people, you know, accepted us as Native people, Navajo, Diné people that were doing this project, that they um, supported what we were doing. And so now it's, it's worldwide, you know, it's just amazing how wonderful that this project brought so much hope and, and the willingness of people to help us. And, and, the, and the outreach was, was really hard for us at first because we had people messaging us, asking us to dance for their sick relatives, asking oh, wow. us to dance for their, their, the relatives that passed away. And um, it really, it was really hard for us. It, it, be, it became really hard for us to um, to cope with that. But we knew um, we had to do it. And so every time we went out and danced, we knew that who we were dancing for. We knew what we were doing. And um, and that, I think, was, I think was the best part of everything was that um, and, and it wasn't just Native people. It was also non-Native people. And it was really a great platform. And it still is right now for us to go out and educate we got back from Pennsylvania. We went out and we talked at university there. And, you know, and we, we, the girls danced out there. And you know the history of Pennsylvania in America, you know, and that land really needed, needs healing. And we could feel it when we were out there. Even the people themselves were saying, we're so grateful you're here. The land needs healing. And these are non-Native people wow. saying, you know, we need your help, wow. you know, and so it was grateful. We're so grateful to be doing this. And, and also, you know, it, it, the cool things with the girls, too, is that, you know, a landscape photographer, you know, got to get into Vogue magazine, you know, and the girls <laughs> were in Vogue, you know, and, so then, you know, and so, we, you know, we have a lot of good outreach and we have a lot of great supporters and contributors to this project. And it's been really great. You know, we've been really grateful for all that has happened so far. And so how can people follow you and i know you have an instagram do you want to share like websites or any social media that we can keep up with you and what you're doing yeah i um on social media on instagram you know you can follow myself tapahi it's just my last name you, know, you can follow um our projects um instagram it's jingle dress project and um, you can follow me on facebook um tapahi photography 
and tapahi spelled t-a-p-a-h-e right okay. right and so you know and those are our our main um our main areas and we also have a website our website is um jingledressproject.com it's pretty simple um and if you just do a Google search, mm-hmm. you know, Jingle Dress Project, you know, you're going to see a lot of the places and where we've been and what we've been doing. And that was Eugene Tapahi of Art Heels with the Jingle Dress Project. And with our very own Valine MC, Living the Circle of Life. And to hear the rest of the conversation, you can listen on demand at krcl.org. Click on programs, then choose listen on demand, sort by show or to date. And coming up after this song, we will have our our food conversation with, uh, let me see where my notes are. We have Gina Cornea, Utahns Against Hunger, Joanna and Johanna and Izzy, Salt Lake Community Fridges, and Jeanette Padilla with Food Justice Coalition. And I am Rashawn Leak, and you're listening to Roundtable Tuesdays. But now, everybody eats when they come to my house, Cab Calloway. Have a banana, Hannah. Try the salami, Tommy. Give with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plate, too. Here's cacciatore, Dory. Taste the bologna, Tony. Everybody eats when they come to my house. I fix your favorite dishes. Hoping this good food fills ya. Work my hands to the bone in the kitchen alone. You better eat if it kills ya. Pass me a pancake, mandrake. Have an undervy, ervy. Look in the fendel, mendel. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Hannah, Davy, Tommy, Dora. When they come to my house Pasta fazula, tolula Oh, do have a bagel, bagel Now don't be so bashful, Nashville Everybody eats when they come to my house Hey, this is a party, Marty Hey, you get the cherry, Jerry Now look, don't be so picky, Mickey Cause everybody eats when they come to my house all of my friends are welcome. Don't make me coax you, moach you. Eat the tables, the chairs, the napkins, who cares? You gotta eat if it chokes you. Oh, do have a knish, knisha. Ask him the latke, matke. Chili con carne for Bonnie. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. If you or someone you know needs food for Thanksgiving, Crossroads Urban Center's annual Thanksgiving food giveaway starts at 10 a.m. Wednesday, November 23rd, in the Smith's Ballpark lot on the northwest corner of 1300 South and West Temple in Salt Lake City. Drive up and a volunteer will place a turkey and a box of side dishes in your trunk. No documentation required and walk-ups are welcome too. Info at crossroadsurbancenter.org. KRCL is turning 43. 
and we're inviting you to come out and celebrate the station's anniversary with us at our first ever Holiday Soul Party on December 3rd at the Commonwealth Room in Salt Lake City. KRCL DJs, photo booth, food truck, and live music with Ryan Innes, AM Bump, and the Omega Horns with a special VIP soul set with me, eBay Hamilton. So come on out and celebrate 43 years of community radio with a night full of feel-good soul music and all your favorite radio friends here at KRCL. That's Saturday, December 3rd at the Commonwealth Room. Get your tickets now at krcl.org. I don't know about y'all, but I am super excited for our first holiday soul party. I'm going to be there. I don't know if that makes you want to come or not want to come, but regardless, we're going to have a good time. So please come out and buy your tickets and join us in the festivities. So coming up, we have Democracy Now! at 7 p.m. with Amy Goodman, Connor and the Late Night Lowdown at 8 p.m., Super Sounds with Chovy at 10.30, and then to wrap it all around, we have John Florence starts a brand new day at 6 a.m. And now, what everybody's waiting for, let's get into our Attitude of Gratitude. We have with me in the booth, we got Gina Cornea, we have Johanna and Izzy, and we have Jeanette Padilla. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. Hello. Hello. Of course. So, I mean, one, I'm just excited to have all of you in here. It, it, it always makes my heart happy having a bunch of do-gooders in here. You, <laughs> you make, you know, you make me strive to be a better person, so thank you. So let's start with you, Gina, because you are have you're lucky enough to sit on my <laughs> left, and you're the closest to me. I'm not. The, it's I'm not the oldest. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely not. All right. So, so Gina, I guess the the first thing is like we like to start off with origin stories. So, so how did you get? How did you get partnered with? How did you start up with uh, Utahns Against Hunger? Yeah, you know, it was um, my involvement with the Benyon Center up at the University of Utah when I was a student there. I volunteered it. Utahns Against Hunger and mostly through the Binion Center doing direct service, which was just not a good fit for me. I was we were talking earlier about having bad boundaries and mm -hmm. um, public policy is a much better fit for me. And I okay. tell people I get paid to complain, which also suits my personality. So <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I love it. Paid to camp complain. I like that. I need some of that in my life. All right. Johanna and Izzy, Salt Lake Community Fridges. So, like, what is Salt Lake Community Fridges, and, and what's your origin story? How'd you get started with it? Yeah, uh, so I have been in Salt Lake Community Mutual Aid, the organization, uh, since March 2020. Uh, I started as, like, an emergency grocery assistance and direct cash assistance for people experiencing issues from COVID-19 or anything else. And in that same kind of vein, we developed Salt Lake Community uh, fridges as like an extension kind of of that um, and as like a separate project on its own um, yeah nice Joanna um, yeah I joined um, the same year shortly after Izzy um, and mutual aid is a concept that has existed since humans have existed and has been um, kind of uh, oppressed out of us in ways and um, in 2020 with the uprisings um, people were um, sparked to um, try to change the way we do things and Fridges is a, a nationwide um, project that we just wanted to encourage in our city as well. 
Nice. And last but certainly not least, we have, uh, let me see, we have Jeanette Padilla with Food Justice Coalition. So, Jeanette, how did you get started with this? So, we got started with um, creating Food Justice Coalition. It was it was kind of an accident the way we came to be a nonprofit. We decided to put on a Christmas dinner for 200 um, unsheltered people, and we raised so much money that we kept feeding people, and people kept donating. So we kept feeding people, and people kept donating, and it just turned into an actual nonprofit. And the work comes from myself um, as a child experiencing both food insecurity and housing insecurity, and working in mutual aid for the last 17 years. Um, across different states and as well as Mexico, I saw a real need to do this work and to put some um, infrastructure into it. And the community was so willing and ready um, and everybody just stepped up to the plate in, in many different ways and lend, you know, lent us their, their skill set and their time. And it turned into this wonderful organization that would not be possible if it wasn't for the Salt Lake community. I love that. I love that. And so let's let's just start our open our open dialogue. So so since COVID has have have your groups noticed that there's been a rise in, in need of, of food help or, or food insecurity, I should say? I think that's a great question for Gina. We've only been around for two years, so I'll let Gina take okay, that one. Gina, let's, yeah, let's jump with you. Well, so I mean the pandemic really turned the issue of food access on its head. I mean it not only really impacted vulnerable communities being able to go to the grocery store, go to a food pantry. I mean, their organizations had to change their service models literally overnight. And programs like child nutrition programs, they just, they had to figure out how to respond and respond quickly. And I think what, what we've seen and what we've, you know, anecdotally what we hear from service direct service providers is that the need is has increased and they're busier than they ever have been. Mm. And at one point during, there were, they were doing these, the Census Bureau was doing these pulse surveys where they would interview people once a week where they would do a, a questionnaire. And at one time during the pandemic, December of 2020, of 2020, um, our food insecurity rate was one in four. Oh, wow. And four households of color for the black community for the hispanic community for pacific islander community it was much higher 35 percent of black families in utah struggled to afford enough food that's flattened out some and the latest data which we know is old and has not been captured since food prices have gone up it's one in ten households so we know that it's likely a lot higher than that right Man, that's wild. So, so let me let me go br- bring the conversation to to Johanna and Izzy. So, with with the food, with the fridges, are we noticing that you know with what with what Gina just said? Are you having to stock it more frequently than you were before? And and I guess the question is, how long have you been around with the fridge? Mm, a year. A full year and some change All on right. the fridges. So. All right. So. Ju- jumping in and starting a business during COVID. I like your style. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we're actually an entirely grassroots ran and, you know, facilitated organization. Um, have we, uh, we, the f- usage of the fridge itself and like all of our fridges goes up and down okay. and uh, it's more kind of like a locally, like hyper locally uh, source. Sur- sourced. So, uh, but we have had 
um, so, you know, a year ago at this same time, I think we did a, another interview with KRCL uh, around this happy, time. Happy birthday. I yep. Guess. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, where the Rose Park fridge originally opened. That was the first fridge in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, three more fridges have opened uh, in South Salt Lake, in Sugar House, and the latest one in the Ogden area, uh, the Weaver fridge. So um, the drive of people to get involved in the project has certainly resin Mm -hmm. and and that's that that's a hard thing because part of me is like well congratulations you're growing but that is not in in the business with you with your three groups that is not the goal you know and if i'm if i'm guessing the goal is really to to work yourselves out of a job absolutely absolutely and you know we've only food justice has only been around in utah for two years yet we started a, a our free lunch program which is aimed at people that are experiencing food insecurity that are housed. Our primary program focuses on supporting people experiencing homelessness um, through plant-based nutrient-dense meals. And we started our second program, our free lunch program for people that are housed um, and experiencing food insecurity because we saw a need for that. We, we, were, we were asked by, by you know, this different demographic for food and we couldn't say no. Um, and every week we do see that number climb a little. Um, so every week it, it is increasing. And I think that speaks to where we are as a nation with our you know, food supply and, and the, the breakdown of that chain, um, as well as with inflation and people making really hard decisions on you know, rent and mm-hmm. um, all the basic necessities they need to live while trying to figure out how to put food on, the pl- on their plates when grocery prices are not falling. I want to I want to take that over to Eugenia because I know you have a, a relationship on the hill, and so what what are they what is what is our elected officials doing or talking about when we're to to Jeanette's point like we're seeing inflation. I was just at the grocery store and I I was thinking to my wife like how I I couldn't imagine if we were one income like how we're affording when eggs bread milk fruit and vegetables everything is going up. Are they looking to offset that by any stretch? Oh, that's a that's a really great question. So one of the things that came out of COVID was the USDA um, giving all families who are on food stamps or SNAP supplemental yep. security or supplemental nutrition assistance program the full allotment. So they don't. So you apply for food stamps, you automatically now get the full amount. States were able to end that program. It was like an individual state decision, but our governor has kept that in place. So we're one of only 35 states that continue to give the full emergency allotment for food stamps. And that is notable, one, because we're in a very conservative state, but um, Governor Cox has recognized that the price of food is putting a lot of financial pressure on families. And so he's kept that in place. So, but that's, that's the governor's office. Right, that is, yeah. That's the governor's office. The state legislature, well, I mean, do we have affordable housing? Do we have a higher minimum wage? Do we have any of those things that they say they care about, that they, you know, but their their words do not match their actions? Last year, Senator Escamilla asked for an additional $500,000 to support pantries across the state mm-hmm. because the state only invests about a, about a million dollars goes of state money goes to support 24 
emergency food pantries across the state. That is not, that is barely a drop in a bucket. No, especially when there are over 200 pantries across the state. And it got, that funding got scuttled because of politics, because of some personal, personal personalities, personal relationships and person, just Backdoor things, yeah. That happened. And so that money was not appropriated during the last session. And so when pantries applied again this year, they were $610,000 short of what they had asked for. The governor recently appropriated $610,000 in COVID ARPA funding. So the governor is doing his job in, I think, trying to support the community right. because we have a, we place a lot of value on charitable responses. So... I feel like the governor is putting his money where his, you know, his the money is, baby yeah. mouth is. But, I mean, that's one thing the Utahns Against Hunger, we're calling on the Utah State Legislature to invest in emergency food pantries in their communities because people across the state need access to food. And if they don't, one, if they don't want to apply for federal nutrition programs, mm-hmm. or two, they earn too much money, right. then they need somewhere where they have a reliable source of food and food that is appropriate for their families. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess that brings me over to the Salt Lake fridges. Mm-hmm. So what is what are our communities feel? Well, no, you know what? I know how our communities feel, or I can assume. <laughs> but home. what is the government saying about it when, when all of a sudden you go to a neighborhood and now there's fruit, there's fridges there, and while the fridges are good, you know, everybody can benefit from that. But what does the community feel or are our elected officials saying about fridges just being there for people to take from? Um. I wouldn't say we get a lot of feedback from our community leaders on these fridges. You know, we uh, as an organization um, kind of go even more upstream, kind of like when we're thinking about food insecurity, food apartheid zones and identified some of these like core issues is like one food is not treated as a human right not for people living in our communities and that is uh you know but that makes people angry (laughs) i would say and you know furthermore on how um you know but seeing like how our neighbors are banded together around these community fridges really has going to show that we do not just need like our elected officials we do we can work together as communities and that has always been what has you know created you know thriving societies and how we kind of reacted with the pandemic happened you know there were thousands of people in the streets thousands of people doing food programs and we just yeah we'd love to see more of that like you know local leadership as well i love that and and so for Jeanette, I know I know I was on your uh, I was on your Instagram page earlier, and I saw I was I was doom scrolling, if you will, and I saw that your your group hit a roadblock not too re- not too uh, long ago. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I can I can share some of those um, some of those details, and um, I will just preface this with saying I can't share all the details. Nope, nope, I can't name names. Can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we work out of a commissary kitchen where um, we make approximately 2,000 meals, um, prepared meals that are plant-based, really nutrient-dense, um, 2,000 a month. And um, with our free lunch program, um, our free lunch program days happen twice a month. 
for a total of six hours throughout the month is a, is a you know three hour window each day um, where people that are housed and anyone really in the community can come get free food from us. Um, somehow the the person that owns the building where we operate um, creating our food heard about this program and decided they did not want us to operate this program there um, because they felt it would bring, and I quote, a bunch of homeless people around that would be detrimental to the building and the tenants of the building. Um, To which I responded, one, we don't serve our unsheltered neighbors out of this program. We have a secondary program for that, but it's actually our primary program where we do direct outreach and we go out to the street and we meet people where they're at because there are various barriers that people experiencing homeless um, face when it comes to accessing food. So we go to them. Our free lunch program that we operate out of our kitchen is for housed people. And um, this individual, this, the owner, did not, um, that, that didn't do anything. That didn't sway their opinion at all. They said, well, you know, I still don't want you operating this out of out of this kitchen. This is a business. Um, you're not charging any money for your food. You're competing with the other small businesses. To which I responded, actually, we're not competing with them. Uh-huh. I know all the vendors that operate out of the space. They're very supportive of our work. They help us. They give us in-kind donations. They give us monetary donations. They lend us their counter space. They lend us their equipment. We have really good relationships with them. We also have a great relationship with our landlord, who we pay rent to every month, who leases this building. And the owner said, it doesn't matter. I still don't like this program operating out of my building, and I'm shutting it down. Wow. Um, I asked to have a larger conversation around this and to have a sit down. I was told no, and that was kind of the end of it. So we had to shift, and without skipping a beat, my good friend, Missy Grace, who owns Public, um, who just happens to be one of their locations on West Temple's five minutes up the street from us, um, she said, host it at Public indefinitely. The space is yours, which is a huge deal because this is <laughs> this is, this is how, you know, they're, this is how they make money is through this event space. And it's, it's being given to us for free to help serve the community. And um, we immediately said yes. And so we're hosting our free lunch program twice a month out of Public Coffee on West Temple. I love that. Shout out to Public Coffee on West Temple. Way to go. Yeah. And you're listening to Roundtable Tuesday Radioactive Edition of Roundtable Tuesday's Radioactive. And we are having an attitude with gratitude. I have Utahns Against Hunger, Salt Lake Community Fridges, and Food Justice Coalition. And so I, I want to ask all, all three of your groups, like what what can we do from a from a community standpoint with our listeners? How do we get involved to help? Um, well, I mean, for for Utahns against hunger, public policy is the core of our work, and you know I think it, it's it's hard to have. Um, well, it's hard for me sometimes to have confidence in our elected officials in Utah. You're not alone. (laughs) I know. And and that is what gives me peace is that I'm not alone in that frustration. But they do have to hear from their constituents that we have two senators and we have four state representatives who are all just reelected and they are accountable to us for their actions and they have to hear from us. 
I reached out to our um, House of Representatives today to request a meeting with each one of them to talk about sort of the state of food insecurity in Utah, because they're in a position to vote on legislation that impacts every single person in Utah. So for us, it's about holding our elected officials accountable, having good public policy that directs these programs, and voting that, you know, if you have the chance to vote, voting is my favorite thing. If I could switch careers, I would work on voting issues. Um, so vote, hold your elected officials accountable, and contribute to groups like the Community Fridges and the Food Justice Coalition. They're doing really important work. Mm -hmm. And it is often that dissent from the bottom so to speak that will often shift those conversations that are happening where people who are in positions of power and it's an opportunity to disrupt sort of the status quo agitate yeah mm -hmm. all right um if you have ever experienced food insecurity in your life or if you are currently experiencing food insecurity in your life you were posed as someone who is served and i just want you to know that you are not the served you're the protagonist of the movement and collectively together we take care of us and you can um like feed your neighbor you can um organize with um other people like you like either in um the community fridges or just in your neighborhood separate um, or there's so many grassroots leftist organizations out there that are building power um, from your experience um, yeah so just um, <laughs> sorry that's all to say you can get involved um, um, on our website <laughs> or just like you know what you need so just find other people and um, meet up with them I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I love that. I will um, I will echo your sentiments mm -hmm. and say that mutual aid um, is, a, is a very powerful tool and has been around as long as humans have been around. Absolutely. So I will say two things. I think everyone needs to identify what their um, skill set is and what their strengths are. And like Gina said, she's more policy minded. And she knows that that is one of her strongest skills, right? I am more direct services um, uh, oriented. That's my strong suit. I love being face to face with people. I love being in the streets. This is this is part of my background. Um, so I think identify what your skill set is, and get involved that way. Find an organization or a group, whether it's grassroots or whether it's a nonprofit, and get involved, right? Um, secondly, I would say. To everyone who feels helpless or feels like they're really struggling, this is owed to you. Mm -hmm. Food is a human right. Absolutely. You deserve to have good, healthy, nutrient-dense food, and you deserve to have it be accessible to you, regardless of your background, regardless of your socioeconomic standing. And your legislators need to be held accountable. So um, pu public advocacy is very, very powerful. Um, call your representatives, make a stink, and let them know that you are upset and that this is owed to you and that your tax dollars should not be misappropriated and they need to fund better programs and they need to um, pass better laws that support us as a community with uh, support our basic needs. So many of us are not having our basic needs met and there is no good reason why that should continue happening. 
Absolutely, preach, sister. So where where is the next uh, spot that you're going to be out? I know I I happened to bump in. I didn't cross the street, but I saw you on Saturday. You you guys were out there. What is on fifth and fifth and third oh, third west this uh, past four, Saturday? Fourth south, yeah. fifth west. Yeah, I was out there with Dave, yeah. who's sitting right next to me, kind of supervising the show. Yeah, um, yeah, we were doing a um, a, a pre on Thanksgiving um, dinner. Dave, do you want to yeah, make you a comment? I think I think it's worth people hearing about it uh yeah um the group i started to is uh called ours our own shelter relatives and we're kind of i guess well i cooked by myself after camp last hope closed and when that camp got abated uh it just formed other camps uh you know you had the mural camp you had the mountain camp you had the lowe's camp you had the jordan camp and at that time you know we could go uh, on a Saturday, I would cook breakfast and dinner, and on Sunday, I would do uh, breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as all these abatements started happening, they pretty much disappeared because to set up, because we cook on site. That's what we yeah, do, you know, because we want to bring a nice um, warm meal, you know, to the freshness. Them. Yeah. And so, yeah, so with all these camps being abated, um, it just, the numbers were down at the island which is 300 or 350 south of 500 yeah, west behind the Rio Grande. Yeah, so we call that the island and or either the hallway on 300 south. But we mostly just sit at the island now cuz we know there's the numbers and mm-hmm. before when we would cook uh we would make to go containers and we would, you know, go out to the Lowe's camps, you know, just I mean all the other camps we knew there were numbers. But now um we'll make to go trays but people just keep on coming while we're packing up you know cleaning up and stuff so we don't we haven't even gone out to other camps probably within the last two months because the numbers are there there. and yeah so yeah that's a good thing that you know like they were saying earlier i mean our group i mean without the help of the community you know donating food uh, volunteering, um, yeah, the community makes a big difference. Absolutely. And, and people that help us out, you know, they got the mindset of what they seen on TV, you know, like all oh, their nuisances, this, this, and that. But once they get out there and start, you know, meeting these people, they see their people, you know, not nuisances. Well, why don't you give us your social where everybody can, can find you? Uh, on Facebook, we're under ours, Art on Sheltered Relatives. And usually I try to post the menu like on Wednesday. Nice. <laughs> All right, Jeanette, what about your social? We are on Instagram and Facebook as Food Justice Coalition, and there's a bunch of helpful links in our um, bio. Uh, we're just on Instagram. It's at uh, slc.community.fridges, and the Weber Fridge is on Facebook, just as Weber Fridge. Uh, Utahns Against Hunger on all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for showing up. And to our listeners, just, I mean, you know, this is this trying times. We're seeing our numbers grow. We can absolutely make a difference. You just have to want it. You have to help out everybody. It does not matter what you can do. Anything, anything will be accepted. Anything will be appreciated. And everything is needed. KRCO, Take care. Salt Lake City. Downsizing your car collection or simply tired of looking at that project car sitting in the back of your driveway in pieces. 
Either way, consider donating it to KRCL, and our friends at Cars Inc. will take it from there. No hassles, no fees. You get a tax receipt, and KRCL gets a donation. But best of all, the music you love never stops. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for more information and how to donate. Thanks, y'all.